You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Sean Vance. I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Shalinder, Agnes, and Rasmus to discuss the topic of how to use data to shape your product. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the table with some quick introductions. Shalinder, do you want to kick us off? Sure, sure. Thank you, Sean. Uh, well, I'm Shalinder, and I work as a senior manager for uh, PwC in uh, data and analytics department. Um, I come with uh, 20 years of experience in the field of data warehouse applications development and uh, business intelligence solutions. Okay, great. Okay. Agnes? Hi, guys. I am Agnes. Uh, I'm working as an advisor, supporting leaders uh, in uh, creating data-driven organizations. Previously, I have been leading data and digital transformations across various industries. By nature, I'm actually a technology nerd and, uh, and have a really true passion about uh, value creation. Uh, privately, I'm mother to two lively boys and uh, a mountain lover. So, so I'm really looking forward to, to getting my skiing. Uh, holiday soon. Okay, great. And Rasmus? Yeah, my name is uh, Rasmus and I'm a principal data scientist at Damba Analytics, so a small niche consultancy specialized in data and analytics. We build both uh, yeah, data science solutions for our clients, but also internally where we have our software as a service that we uh, sell to our clients. I have a background in biomedical engineering, but I've been working for as a consultant now for the last five years. On a personal note, I just became a father, so I have a daughter for, he's, she's three months old now, and uh, so if there's some noise in the background, I have to apologize, so, yeah. <laughs> but she's sleeping now, so everything <laughs> should be good. Um, I'm also a bit of a technology nerd. I did try to build my own baby monitor just now, but uh, figured out if I wanted to do predictive analytics on baby crying, I need to do some labeling of data, and it's not as easy as I thought it would be. <laughs> Okay, great. So now that we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have questions or a statement on how to use data to shape your product. And as usual, I'll work around the room with each of these questions and allow you to elaborate. Each of you will then have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Okay, so Shalinder, we'll come to you first. So you first of all want to discuss why it's important to use data to shape your product. Do you want to elaborate for us? Sure, sure. I think um, when we are building, you know, different kind of products, and these are these could be the the products that we can touch, and for example, some uh, manufacturing products, or there could be some products, you know, which are um, virtual products, you know, like applications or apps. Uh, it, it's important, like why, how or why we you know we should be using data or what what are the features what are how we can um what are the features that we should prioritize how do we build the story about the data how we should evolve that data so the idea would be that wh how do we build the roadmap you know for that for that uh, for building the product so uh, that's why i would think that uh, when the product is evolving what are the different you know data or kpis we should be looking for when in the different stages of that data, of that product. Okay, so Rasmus, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so just to maybe start it off. So why we should, why it's important to use data to shape our products. I think it's very much about meeting the expectations 
I think we are moving into an, um, an era where using data to basically build these products are the standard. And if you don't do it, then you don't have a reason for existing, basically. So going into like, if you just go maybe five years back, I remember if I had this app on my television wanting to watch whatever documentary or series or whatever, it would not remember at which episode I would have arrived at. Today, that would be totally ridiculous if my TV didn't recognize which part in the show I was actually going for, which part I was reached. Uh, where I left off the last time. So at the same time, it's like if you build products, it needs to meet the customer expectations. And in order to know what their expectations are, we need to have data. So we need to collect usage. We need to know how do they use the product. Let's just say it's an application for now. So we need to understand how do they interact with the application? How are the usage patterns? Um, when do they use it? How, what do you use it for? The actual use case, the pain points it's hopefully solving. And if we want to track all of this, then we need data. Um, of course, there's kind of two ways to go about this, right? Either you have the data or you have to go ahead and collect it. So I would say for me, um, this also very much comes down to, are you a big organization that is maybe known in the industry for something else? And now you want to build data products? Or are you a new startup that's going to, going to be like digital native? We're going to work right off our product. That's our key selling point and so on. So you would have data if you're a big organization. But if you are completely new, then you have to go about it a different way. Um, and then we can talk about stuff like design thinking and hypothesis thinking and all, that, all this stuff. But I think in essence, like why we need data is because we need to confirm that we're going in the right direction with our products, that we're actually solving what it's set out to do, what it's set out to solve. Yeah, some great input there. Agnes, have you got anything to add? Yeah, I think that uh, we also talk about how, because we know we know the the why, but how could we do it? And I think leaving it post facto when we have done something, it's already too late. So just embedding it within every day and every work we are doing, I think that allows us to to scale it and and put it in practice. So most of us probably work within the agile, some kind of an agile framework, and just having it as part of the definition by done and and making sure that we can measure the results and the expectations we have against the different features and do it consistently every day. It really will allow us to build on and, and measure the, the impact we are making at the end, uh, but not leaving it post factor because that's when I find it too late. Okay, Shalinder, have you got anything else you'd like to add there? Yes, yes. I think uh, these are like really good, uh, you know, insights. Uh, also, I would think that, uh, you know, when we are developing a product, we also need to figure out whether we are, um, whether that's a financially, you know, um, uh, uh, viable product, right? So that becomes even more important. When we also, I think Rasmus, you really uh, hit the nail on that one, that whether it's, it hit, you know, it, it connects with the customer, right? So who are using that product. And I think it's important that we look at different aspects of financial, you know, commercial and, and also the, the feedback that we are getting. That would also shape what kind of product you know, it is. And I also, uh, when, when it touches different aspects of the features, as I said, you know, how we can maybe prioritize those features. Does it make sense to prioritize one feature over the other? I would think that it is super important that we don't go with only experience or, or feelings, but also use data use data in conjunction with our experience to, to shape the product. But I think okay. something with um, the, the granularity of insights you can get is important, right? Because when you when you start to collect data, you can start to report on much more like yeah, finely graded insights. So if you have uh, historically, you might have what are your demand? What are your sales? 
But if you start to go into and uh, start to track how do we sell different product to different user groups, how do we um, then we can actually start to develop much more personalized products that will hopefully have a much better adoption. And if we're talking sales now, it will in increase the sales and and all this and the financial KPIs we want to hit. Um, so I think it is very important to start thinking about how we use data. And I just had this thing that data in itself is also becoming more and more of an asset, right? So think about when you actually build this product, can the data you use actually be sold off afterwards, or at least used for different things in order to kind of capitalize from that data? I think there's all these fun examples where you see like the, um, uh, what are they called? The electric scooters. They're the companies there. They ended up making a ton of money, not because they were renting out scooters, but because they now tracked everyone's movement patterns in the major cities across Europe and the US. So, so I think kind of thinking about what data is actually also good for is, uh, is interesting here. Yeah. Okay, great. Have we got any other final thoughts on that topic? No, good. Okay, great. Okay, so Agnes, we'll come to you next. So you've asked, how do you ensure that everybody involved in product development will become an active data user and use information as part of their decision-making process? Do you want to give us some context behind this? Um, yes, so we talk about the, the product that we can shape them uh, with the data so we can use the data to personalize the experience, the tailored content, but we can also use the data to share, uh, shape the product by actually allowing the decision makers uh, to use that data uh, and, and everybody that is part of that process to actually be the active user. And, and for me, I, I noticed that it, it, it's, it's, it's not often that happens that everybody have actually access that data. We, we start to be better at democratizing the data, but making everybody actively using that data, I still find as a, as a challenge. And, and as, a, as a maybe a simple example, um, how could we ensure that our sales representatives uh, will be using the, the information from the product to plan or prioritize on the daily operations? Or, or the HR partners will use it for hiring or attention, or even the engineers will use the data to look on the cost when they develop a feature or performance. Uh, and and I, I haven't seen a place where you could really have it across the whole organization. So we will have bits and pieces, but it's still a little bit function driven and, and uh, and finance have its own, they have a cost, the developers have the features and it's, it's, it's hard to connect it all. And, and I think it would be good to think holistically about how to make it work from inside out first. Yeah, okay, Shalinder, do you wanna start us off then? What are your thoughts? Yes, yes. No, I think it's a very good question. And, and that's also because it goes beyond, you know, the, the product owners who are actually sitting on the table and then figuring out, you know, what features we should add. Uh, because it also involves, you know, the other teams like Agnes mentioned, right? For example, development team, testing team, management team, and, and so on. And they all have their own, you know, part to play for um, uh, product development. And, and like, you know, how many bugs were there? So how can we reduce, you know, number of bugs when we are doing development? Or are we delivering on time? Or is this feature, you know, uh, are we hitting a, is it a high prioritized feature, but are we hitting a deadlock? So should we like make it low priority? I think there are different teams who would be making these kind of decisions and they would need their uh, set of KPIs and then you know, that data to support those KPIs. Also, I would think uh, it's a being, you know, speaking devil's advocate. Uh, I, I would think that we need to have some sort of a balance 
you know, like how much data we can use because sometimes over-engineering could also, you know, uh, slow down the process. So sometimes it's a balance of, you know, feelings or experience with the data, but I think wherever there is a data we have, we should try to go see, you know, that is, does it support our feelings or not? So I think it's super important that everybody in the who uh, can, you know, they use the right KPIs. They have, they have identified the right KPI, but also it's important that what is pragmatic that they use, uh, that we don't end up, you know, or engineering the, the process. Yeah, so Rasmus, yes. anything to add? Yeah, I think also it's a very uh, interesting question here. I think there's, of course, if we look at the agile methodology and all this, there are some kind of setups for how we should look into this, how we should anchor the ownership in the organization. So basically, I'm looking more into this retrospective or playback or whatever framework you use, but there will be this kind where you want to involve the business stakeholders to take part of the uh, planning and the actual uh, demo of different solutions every sprint. And I think that's something we've been working with a lot personally here in, um, in Dumbbell, where we started off having our separate sales team and development team, and you could really feel like there was a big gap between uh, what, yeah, feature requests were coming in for the sales team and what was actually prioritized in uh, in engineering. So I think actually now we have this combined team where all the salespeople are actually involved in these uh, retrospectives, which gave a new insight. I don't think it's uh, it's solving it completely. It brings in new challenges, but it's, uh, it's definitely a, a step up actually having these, um, now we can call it decision makers, but in essence, these people are, what, are listening to the clients, understanding if what we are building is actually solving the issue in the in the first place. So I thought that was a really um, cool way of going about it. But, but this is uh, really difficult. And I think um, when we talk about this, it comes down to maturity level of the organization. I think often if you see these uh, management consultancy slides, which I guess many people have seen, you have this kind of, um, when you're in the immature state, you have data analytics is more in this push phase where you have small teams to try to push out these either business insights reports or data analytics reports, they push them out to the organization, trying to see if someone actually wants to use it. At some point when the maturity level rises, we will see that hopefully that we move into this more of a pull phase where the organization starts to see the value and they start to ask for more analytics. They say, okay, well, that was really cool. Can we actually, can you forecast this as well? Can you also, uh, maybe can we do something cool about this process? And what about intelligent automation? Then a lot of good ideas starts to come up when the organization itself matures over the data journey, so to say. So I think uh, I don't I haven't met anyone who have solved this completely. I think it's a really good question, but I think you you face different areas of this depending on your data maturity level. Okay, great. Agnes, anything left to add there on your topic? No, I actually really agree with, with what you guys have said and, and building the awareness and educating the, the rest of the organization, I'll, I'll find in it's a core because we all know that uh, engineers, they need to be, they need to get training, they need to move because technology is moving, but they, we tend to forget about the rest of the organization that they also need to go undergo, undergo that transformation and uh, and we shouldn't leave them behind. And I think we should embed them within the, those decisions and get the understanding of what they struggle with. Uh, so bring them, like you mentioned, Rasmus, just, just get them closer to what's possible will already be a, a huge benefit for everybody. Okay, great. Anything left to add there? Perfect. Okay, moving on. Finally, last, but by definitely no means least. Rasmus, your question is, how do we make sure that these decisions on the product are driven by data and not just by a gut feeling? 
Do you want to explain for us? Yeah, I do. I do. So I think this is maybe mostly the case if you have bigger organizations or even consultancies where people have been in an industry for a very long time and have some very strong feelings about different ideas or how things work. So they may not be so keen to adopt a new data driven approach. They have some clear insights they've seen over the time, of course. So it's, it's not just uh, thin air. It's, uh, it's a lot of experience that drives these decisions, right? But in the, in the essence, it is gut feeling because it's something that you've seen before, maybe three or four times, and then you assume that this case is the same. So I think what I'm trying to ask here is how do we, when we have bigger organizations, it could be within any industry, it could be life science, it could be uh, financial services, it could be energy sector. If you want to start building data products, how do you actually create a team that um, anchors the data-driven approach to it? So basically, how do we make sure that when we decide on new features to add to this product that is driven by data and not just by gut feeling by the uh, I'm afraid to say all these consultancy words by the uh, the hippo is a phrase, a brainwave where the highest per, uh, the highest paid person's opinion. So there will be someone who's very old in the industry and like has all the experience, and he will just dictate the direction that his products will go. Uh, how do we make how do we change that the business transformation to um, to go more into a data driven approach for feature development? Okay, Agnes, do you want to start us off? I can do that. I have a very good experience working with. Uh something I call birth certificate. So it's a, it's a very simple template to write down your hypothesis, write down what are your expected results. And basically it can be filled in by anybody. Uh, and, and just writing things down and thinking about the outcomes you are expecting and describing the, process, the, the problem in words, in writing, already made a huge difference for me because that uh, hypothesis and that uh, outcomes that you expect can later uh, be translated into a KPIs and something we can measure. So I will use that template in actually uh, creating a KPIs and both leading and lagging KPIs in order to, to see if, if we are going into a, a expected direction. Um, and it's a very simple, it can be a very simple template. It doesn't need to be anything advanced. Uh, a simple work document works really good. Yeah. Okay, Shalinder? Sure. I think, again, it's a, it's a really good question. And I would say there are multiple aspects to this. One is definitely um, when you have a legacy, you know, organization, people would say, hey, you know, I have the experience, we go with that. Yes, but I think the way I would probably approach is, you know, we do we have enough data, like when we define and define a hypothesis, do we have enough data? And I think more than just having a data, I would go one step further. Do we have right data analysis, you know, for that hypothesis? Because we have tons of data, that's not wrong. But if we do a wrong data analysis to support our gut feeling, that's wrong, right? So I think we need to have uh, right data analysis to either support or shoot down that gut feeling. And we need to figure out how, you know, uh, strong that data analysis is. How is it, how much it is speaking to, to you? Uh, and I've seen like, you know, cases where we would create a model, algorithm model, and then we bring our own biases in that model, right? And then, then we say, hey, you know what? Okay, now we have our, our product is based on, we are using data, we are data driven. But again, you know, we are bringing another kind of, feeling, you know, to that. So I think we, we need to figure out when we are not using data, like in the gut feelings, how do we then support or shoot down that instinct 
by having proper analysis using data, or if we are using data, then we need to figure out, do we have anything in our model which could you know, uh, remove these kind of biases? And I think we need to have some scrutinies around it when we are building a model or when we are doing a data analysis. Uh, what are the different compliance checks you know, we are doing when we build a model? right, to, to do that data analysis. What kind of, uh, why the gut feeling is, could be correct or wrong. We need to, maybe it could be, maybe we don't have enough data to, to do the data analysis for that gut, on that gut feeling. So what more measures we can take? What other, you know, pitches we can, we, we can, we can, we can check, you know, the avenues to say that whether that gut feeling is correct or not. And end of the day, you know, sometimes uh, there is, a, you know, we, 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 we may not be able to answer all the questions, but I think it's, it's a good question about removing the feelings, removing our biases as much as possible and replacing them with the uh, data or patterns or relationship between, you know, in, in, in that data. Yeah. Okay, great. Rasmus, anything else to add there? No, I thought that was two really good uh, advice, actually, two pieces of advice. I just want to go down to the um, like the qualification of the data that, uh, Shalinda, that you mentioned here. So basically, when we have a new idea for a feature, do we actually have the data to support that in a objective fashion here? So how do you propose to do that in, in practice? Is that like a two-week deep dive sprint where you just try to see if you have the supporting data or how would you work with this uh, in practice? I, I think it again depends on, I will just say, you know, like two uh, scenarios when where it's a fast moving product or when I say fast moving product in the sense like fast releasing features, it could be a video game, right? Where mm -hmm. we, are, we are getting so much data and then we have to make the decision really fast because it can make or break, you know, next, uh, mini version of, of that. So I think there we have to really have to figure out, you know, like what is it, what are the, uh, inputs we are capturing in that uh, user interaction with that product. Another kind of uh, uh, feedback that we could get is in the slow release processes. You know, when we are uh, evolving the product over a period of time, let's say after six months, the next release is going to come, or maybe let's say the phone, iPhone, for example, you know, where this release will happen every year. So it's important to see what we missed out, what are the competitors, you know, uh, 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 doing with their products and what we should uh, what is the differentiator, you know, we can create in our product? So I, I, I think um, we, we, we would, I, I would actually, you know, break this into these two parts. And if it is a slow or, or you know, a release product, I would actually be very much focused on the user feedback. What is happening on Facebook? What is happening on the other social media to get what is the, you know, as, as they say, sentimental analysis. Now we are talking about feelings, but you know, again, it's a sentimental analysis on the uh, forums, you know, where we do not have a standard way of collecting data, right? So we can get those uh, feelings, if I would say, you know, in quotes, uh, of 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 users. We can also read the reviews. We can also check, you know, how other, as I said, you know, like competition products are working, which feature they got differentiated, you know, over our feature. Does that answer that that question? Yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Great. And Agnes, anything else to add to that? No, I, I can really um, agree with both of you. And I, I think there are two ways of looking into a feature. The feature that originates out of the data. So we can see a trend. For example, customers are starting to leave. You will then start to, okay, they are leaving because a competitor have give, uh, implemented that feature. There can also be another way where you where you get an input from the customers on, oh, oh, I have this problem. Is there your solution 
able to solve also that problem. And I will say as the first one is more measurable, the set, second one will probably require a different approach uh, because you will not have a data yet into it. You will need to implement an experiment with it before it actually becomes a new feature within your product. And both of them at one point will have to have a data following it, but you will start them in a bit of a different um, way. Uh, the, 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 the beginning of it will be a bit different because you will not be able to measure at the beginning anything from the input of solving a new customer problem if you haven't been in that space. Maybe just okay. a bit, little bit follow up on that one because I think that's really interesting. Um, so how do you guarantee like the innovation? Um, because when you keep listening, let's say we have this very, in the dialogue right now, we have this very customer-centric approach. We listen to feature requests and reviews and why is this not in there? Why is that button not red? And all these um, requests that comes in. But how do we keep the innovation high here? So how do we make sure that we have time and room for prioritizing features that the engineering department think this could be really cool? We don't know what impact it would have yet, but it would solve this kind of issue in the future, but we, we don't know the, uh, the actual impact yet. So in this kind of framework we're setting up here, how do we prioritize innovation from regular customer requests? Mm -hmm. Yes, Shalinder, do you want to answer that one or Agnes, go ahead. I'll let I guess go first. Yeah. I will say having a good experimentation framework and being able to test it with the customers in a very flexible way will be the the way I, I would approach it. So uh, those days there's there is a lot of technology that can offer you experimentation and it's really easy to implement. It's harder to track your experiments, but it, it, implementing it it's not that hard. Uh, so getting a bit more data uh, to work with and really being sharp of what is it that you're trying to achieve and where is your strategy and seeing how that fits within your strategy. Um, that, that will be the way how I will uh, approach any feature that is coming in. Yeah. I, I think it, it's again it's a good question because when we are developing a product, we would want to be you know very, very innovative, innovative you know, with that. And that sometimes would mean that coming up with something which was never heard or seen or seen. I would actually, I probably, uh, you know, I would approach and, and uh, probably create some proof of concept, you know, or maybe release uh, that feature with a very limited, you know, number of users with a small proof of concept where we, I don't have to spend too much time and, you know, resources and see what is their feedback. And maybe it could be just, a, a, you know, uh, understanding, you know, hey, what are the things that we can improve, getting some feedback on that limited, you know, user CD. Because I would know that, you know, who are my, let's say, if I can identify those, you know, audience, that who is the game changer or who are actually the users of my product, who are actually going to uh, make a difference in that feature because of my past experience, you know, with my product uh, usage by them. So because they are very influential, you know, and in, 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 in when, when they provided features or, or requests, you know, in, in past. So I would, I would say that I will actually try to identify who are my, I would say in this context, power users or influential users. And I would just try to create a low cost, you know, proof of concept uh, with that limited users and try to get their feedback. Uh, because in, at the end, end of the day, you know, when we are being innovative, we still want to, you know, confirm our hypothesis with the, someone else, right? who are actually the user, who's a third party, who's not involved in the development of that product. I think this is the probably one of the ways uh, to, to get some data about this, you know, the innovative features or innovation. Does that yeah, great. answer? Did that answer your question there, Rasmus? 
Yeah, it sure did. Good, good. And has anyone else got any other questions that they'd like to ask today? Yeah, Shalinder, think, you got something there? Yes. Uh, no, I think I had discussion about, you know, uh, how, because, you know, when we are developing a product and it is going through various stages, you know, it, it, it says when, when you start a product and then it becomes a little bit, you know, interesting and then it has little variations version and then you become mature and then you, I think um, you, you have to scale it to like a thousand people. So, or other kind of, you know, problems. So what are the, how do we create a roadmap or, or, or you know, a data-driven strategy for this roadmap to say that, yes, we are using the data and, and what KPIs we should be collecting. I think we have to be a little bit more uh, uh, aware of like the KPIs that we start with when we are developing a product would change or evolve when we are in the different stages of the product. That probably is another, you know, complex um, uh, scenario I find myself. So maybe you can highlight, you know, how do you figure out which KPIs to retire, what more analysis we should do, and how would you select those, those KPIs at various stages of the product evolution? Okay. Uh, Agnes, any ideas there? Yeah, I, I really like to work with leading and lagging KPIs because uh, those two really can give me the, the, the holistic picture of where I'm going. So what I mean by lagging KPIs is the really the strategy and the vision. I want to have a 10 million revenue by the end of the year. And while the time is passes, you are tracking that. Well, the lagging KPIs is actually telling you more about what's the probability you're going to achieve that goal so you can change your direction. And while you are developing your product, and you are starting out with a new one, your KPI is going to be very different because you don't have a lot of user data. So you can track your velocity within your product. You can track um, how, how many changes do you have within your um, backlog to, to indicate are your requirements coming in a good shape. So you will focus on a bit of a different um, metrics than later on. But the lagging KPIs will most likely remain the same because your long-term goals will be the same. And if you are having correct leading indicators, you will be able to catch your, uh, whenever things are happening to, to, to correct your direction in good time. And I think that's why using those two uh, is such a, a virtual part of, of product development. I think um, if I have to put in a few words on this as well, I think, um, it depends again if you are looking into these outward facing products where you sell it to a client or if you're looking at building uh, data products in your big organization that might be products that aim to optimize or, um, some process or minimize cost in some degree. But I think um, the way we've used to working with it is that uh, typically we like to be on this, let's say, the forefront of innovation. So the products that we want to try out we typically start off with some kind of POC that is uh, very short and we just want to make sure that the technology is mature enough to solve the solution. So what that could be right now, we are helping a big call center with uh, making automatic journal noting after they have an end phone call. So basically we want to make sure that the uh, speech to text technology is mature enough to capture Danish audio in a call center with a lot of background noise through the headset and through the um, the quality that comes over the phone. So we would kind of make up some kind of a proof of concept around that. And if we need to then auto summarize that afterwards, we would make up some kind of proof of concept for that. But that doesn't bring you any value, just, just kind of confirm that you can actually do this in practice. So typically we would then move ahead into this MVP framework, so the minimal viable product where we would say, okay, 
what's the minimal thing we can do to actually provide some value in this use case. So again, going with this hypothesis that let's say that uh, by automating a journal node, you would save X amount of minutes every day for each uh, coworker, and that would amount to X million a year in uh, in work hours. So then we would actually have, when we build a small solution, maybe it would go to a single department on a single type of phone calls that we would then work with. And then we would, in the end, we would sit there and clock we would, we would manually go in with a uh, watch and clock how much time it took before and after, or maybe have two separate groups, and to see that those KPIs actually match. Do we actually receive, get that uh, impact we're hoping for? Um, and then kind of build it from there. So now we have some kind of MVP, but then we need to think scalability here. And you mentioned that before, because it's a very different thing going for, let's say, 10 callers to 10,000 callers in a big call center. So, of course, there's a lot of extra hours that need to be put into work here to uh, to make that work. But typically, we always start out with these two to see first that the technology is mature enough that we can actually do it, and then that we can um, get at least the results we're hoping for on a minimal scale or on a small subtopic. Okay, yeah. perfect. Did you get everything you needed out of that one then, Shalinda? Yes, yes. And I think also it's very important to to understand, you know, like, why or product version one how successful we were we were and product version two how successful we are now because the kpis could be different for these two things because the context was different then i think it's super important that we identify the kpis at various stages of this so that we can redefine our success criteria also and then measure ourselves in a in a correct way instead of just comparing with something you know from the past yes. okay great anything else to add anyone any more final questions Okay, great. So we'll leave it there for today. Um, I'd love to take this opportunity to thank you all, Shalinda, Agnes and Rasmus, for providing some great insights into this topic. Hopefully each of you and our listeners can take something away from our discussion today. Um, and if you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at shan.vance.evolution-nordics.com. I hope you've enjoyed listening. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. See you next time.